This is Life Elsewhere Music, curated and hosted by Norman B. With new, obscure, rare, unique, and extraordinary music. Hits of the future, artists who deserve your attention, and timeless recordings you probably missed. Hello there, welcome to Life Elsewhere Music, volume 95. I'm Norman B. In the next hour, I have a very special show for you, and I don't want you to miss one second. I was very fortunate recently to have a long conversation with the legendary bass player of Bauhaus and Love and Rockets fame. Yes, that's right, Mr. David J. What you're about to hear is uncensored and unedited, so get comfortable. This is a Life Elsewhere music special, a conversation with David J. David J is a name that anybody that's been around the music business for a few years is going to recognize immediately. I was having coffee just a, just a half an hour ago, and uh, I said to the, uh, the barista, I'm going to be talking to David J in a little while, J in a little while, and he just get all, got all giddy. He got all sort of silly all for a moment. He said, oh, my God, Bauhaus. And I hear this all the time. Well, it just so happens I've got David J on the telephone line with us right now. David, welcome to Life Elsewhere. Hello, thank you very much. Nice it's, to be here. It's really interesting, you know, because uh, the name Bauhaus seems to have, it, it brings so many memories for so many people. I remember, and I was going to give you a little story, I remember getting um, a white copy, a blank label, um, mm. came back from London with it and played it on the air of Bella Lugosi's Dead, and nobody at the time had ever heard a song that was about 10 minutes long, and they just thought it was nuts, but they loved it. I, I remember the very first time I played it, people just loved it. We're going back a long time, aren't we? We're going back to 1979, and certainly we, we submitted the, that, uh, that track to a lot of independent record labels, and they thought it was nuts as well, being so long. And in fact, this was starting to be... It was getting drummed into our heads to such a degree we started to sort of doubt it ourselves you know are we really crazy here trying to put out a single this long until we took it to pete stennett bless him at small wonder and we voiced this concern and he said you're joking 
this is this is a, a future classic. He said, and it. It's like he compared it to the Velvet Underground's Sister Ray. And he said, yeah. you want to hear every minute of that Sister Ray. And you, you, in a similar way, you want to hear every minute, every second of Bella Lugosi's Dead. So, no, don't edit it. I'm putting it out like this. And, you know, he was right. And um, and we were right. In, you know, yeah, absolutely. Right in the end. You know, the, you I... Know? I, I this is going to sound like a strange comparison, but the only other thing, the only record at the time that I thought it reminded me, it, it, it's nothing like it at all, but was Van Morrison's Astral Weeks and Madame George, the track from Van Morrison's Astral Weeks, which went on and on and on, and it had that sort of breakdown in it. And then when I heard when I heard Bella Goes is Dead, it sort of reminded me of the length, but just how intricate it was. And you just said something so important. You said you wanted to listen to every second of it, and you really did. Such a great yeah. record, and it stands up to the test that, of time, David, yeah? You just mentioned one of my all-time favourite tracks, that Van Morrison track, oh, Madame yeah. George. Oh, yeah. I, I love that, and that album, incredible, incredible work. And it's amazing to think that he met the musicians in the studio. Yes. And he actually, I mean, apparently, he had no converse, no actual conversations with them, apart from the incredible musical conversation that is recorded on the record i know that's he, yeah. he, the, the musicians found him very odd yes and and you know i've had st- a lot of stories you know that su- support that yes but i un- i kind of understand it you know and it's a magical album that astral weeks david uh, on facebook i was looking through i was just doing some little research uh, about about you and i went to your facebook page and it says founding member of bauhaus and love and rockets now flying solo with the help of talented friends. I thought that was just such a concise and such a wonderful thing to say. You don't, do you like being sort of mentioned as Bauhaus and Love and Rockets every time you talk to an interviewer? Well, I expect it, and, and I'm proud of both of those bands, so I don't mind it at all, you know, and it's, it's part of my, it's a crucial part of my history. And so, no, as so long as, it doesn't end there, right? Because I'm always expanding and experimenting and collaborating with other artists. So, no. In the NME just recently, I think I saw it yesterday. There is, and it says, David J. Comment. This is not a Bauhaus tour. Talking about the tour you're on right now. This is not a Bauhaus tour, but rather two of the founding members, namely Peter and myself, stepping out in our fortieth anniversary. Does it bother you then when the NME or anybody says it's a Bauhaus tour? That quotation, uh, that quote is was made in response to some of the the fans out there perceiving that we, Peter and I, were putting this tour across as Bauhaus, which was never yeah. the case. And I was just sort of clarifying that issue, just yes. saying, you know, no, it's not Bauhaus, and we wouldn't. It would be completely wrong to call it that. It is what it is. It's to the original members, with two other really talented musicians, John Andrews and Mark Slutsky, uh, and we're on uh, guitar and drums respectively, and we're encouraging them to bring their own characters to the to the arena of the music, you know, to to bring. So it's not just the aping what's on the record that that would be boring and right. also uh not you know not not 
well advised. Uh, so it's it's a little bit different. I mean, it has we think it has the the essence of that music, the original, but also it takes it somewhere else, which keeps it very alive for all of us. You know, uh-huh. so there's an injection of of new sort of um, vitality into into the whole thing. Yeah, I love that. You you are going to be doing a very special show at the studio. You recorded Bela Gosi's Dead in uh, what 1979? Is that right? You got a, you got a, 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 yeah, a, a, a show right. coming Bex, up. Beck Studio. Yeah. In Wellingborough, and I have not been back there since 1984. I recorded my first two solo albums there, and the second one, Crocodile Tears and the Velvet Kosh, has just been reissued actually this week on right. vinyl. And yes. Really nice quality, 180 gram vinyl. Uh, so that will be available you know to purchase on the night but yeah uh, we're gonna it's gonna be a Q&A an interview and I'm gonna play some of the tracks that were actually recorded in that very studio and that's the same room and it hasn't really changed that much from what I can gather it's just been sort of tidied up a bit and there's some extra you know modern gear that's right installed but Basically, I mean, it's got the same old dirty orange tiles <laughs> on the wall that were there when we went, went in when we were, you know, 21 right. years old making our first record. Uh, are there tickets available still? There's a few, yes. There's just a few because it's, it's, it's obviously a small space. You right, know? right. But that's a very um, important... But if you go to my site, they're available from my site, which is davidjonline.com. Okay, we'll give that one out again. In fact, we're probably, I think we'll put it up on our sites, on our site as well. When is the actual show? When is that taking place? It's on Sunday. It's oh, it's Sunday. Up. Okay. All right. Uh, it's Sunday the 26th okay. of August, yeah. All right, cool. Excellent. Now... If you don't mind, can we go back in time just a little bit, back to those days, uh, those early days in Northampton? You had no clue at the time that you would be, 40 years later, talking about music that you were making right then. Just looking back, David, at the time, as a young man, as as a long fledgling rock and roll musician, did you have stars in your eyes? What what was going on for for David J at the time? Well... We thought we had something special in the band. We really had no clue as to how long it would last. And we were also aware that it was pretty underground, you know. We weren't we weren't trying to make commercial music. We weren't interested in that. We're really trying to please ourselves. Yeah. And we're trying to create a sound that we'd never heard before. Something that was unique. And um, I believe we did that, you know. Um, but I am surprised. Yeah, in retrospect, I'm surprised, you know, it it became as universally uh, popular yes. as it did yes. for an underground, you know, weird kind of angular avant-garde post-punk band, yeah. Now, did you think of yourselves as as weird, as, as sort of different to what was going on? You, you, you managed to sort of have that image, but did you actually think of yourselves like that? Uh... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we did, but it wasn't. But it wasn't contrived, you know. Right. It was just we were just being ourselves. Yes, yeah. And we were just. It was just the music that was coming out of us. It was very natural and organic, and it's just we. That was who we were, you know. So it was real, and I think that's part of the 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 popularity of the band is because the audiences they pick up on that. They right. respond to the authenticity. And we, we, we were certainly being authentic. 
Now, because you had Bella Lugosi on one side and Dark Entries on the other side, and then when you bring out the first album, there was a lot of sort of, I guess, uh, sort of gloomy kind of references, and, and people immediately started to sort of get an idea that this was, um, well, it became to be known as goth. But at the time, there was no such genre as, as goth. And Can you remember how that started to come about? Um some writer coined the phrase in a music paper, you know, and it's a sort of easy label. But we we were kind of it was we were kind of frustrated by it because we were very uh, ambitious in and also eclectic in our taste, and we wanted to expand, and we did expand. Yes, and we drew from all all sorts of genres, so we don't want to be limited by a label, especially one that was you know so specific as that. Yes. Um, but I can understand why why we were labelled as such. But yeah, there was so much more to the band, and each each album that came out became ex- um, more expressive and more expansive. Yes, if you listen to it. I mean, there's like there's funk in there, there's dub reggae, there's yes. even like a kind of twisted disco. Um, yeah, some electronic influences right. were into bands like really early bands like uh, Suicide, yes. Can, a lot of the, the kraut rock bands. Um, also, one of the things always struck me about the early, particularly the early recordings, and but specifically Bella Lugosi's Dead was your bass playing uh, it, it seemed to me that it was at the fore and when you were in the studio mm. recording was that deliberate or how did that come about? But it often be the case that when we were rehearsing and we were writing the, the tracks, um, I don't know, I, I would just start playing the bass kind of like a lead, yes. you know, and I'd, I'd often initiate the t- track. That would be kind of the MO, although it was unspoken. Right. It's just the way it happened. And I'd start playing a, a line that was very prominent on the bass. And then Daniel would then come in with something that was kind of um, textural and rhythmic and... And then Kevin would sort of lock in with me, but also be responding to Daniel. And Kevin's very, he's a very original drummer. Um, and then Peter, on top of this soundscape, would take the lyrics. Sometimes I would write them, like Bella Lugosi's Dead, or sometimes, more often than not, he would write them. Right, yes. And then he would just, he would just spontaneously kind of riff on top of, this musical background and it would be very instantaneous most of the tracks that we did were very they're very instant you know i'm going to make Bella another Lugosi being a good example i'm going to make another reference david and see if you can uh, agree mm. with me on this one when i first played bella lugosi's dead particularly in the radio station and i've got these great huge monitors in the station so i'm hearing it for the very first time really loud and it's just it's so incredible hearing it so loud and I'm thinking to myself, this production is, 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 there's a rawness about it, but there's a very, con, very controlled feel about it. But at the same time, there seemed to be this sort of almost, um, I guess the only way, as you just said, it was spontaneous. And it reminded me of the story that I'd heard about how Elvis Presley had recorded Heartbreak Hotel in the stairway of a recording studio to get that echo. I know that you didn't record mm. it in a, stu- in a stairway, but it had that same kind mm. of sort of real spontaneity to it. Any thoughts about that? 
Well, every time we've played that particular piece, it's been different. Yeah. And when we, when we play it live, to this day, it's always different because there's a certain amount of improvisation that goes on with it. So we just captured in the in the actual recording that's on the record, that was just one version. And that we could never emulate that exactly. It was always different. And I think that's part of the magic of that track is that it's open to that improvised element, you know? Yes. So, you know, that that's integral to it, yeah. More than any other than any other track. Right. We're going to take a quick break, David, and then when we come back, I'm going to throw a name uh, to you. Um, I'm going to sort of change, change uh, direction here for a moment. Okay. I'm just going to say the name right now. Then we'll take. Then we're going to take a break. David Bowie. We'll talk to David J. Right after this. This is Life Elsewhere Music, a show that promises to cure all of your problems. Okay, not all of your problems, but at least you'll hear a lot of new music. If you're just joining us, my guest is David J, founding member of Bauhaus and Love and Rockets, and he's now, as he says, flying solo with the help of talented friends. David Bowie, here's a name that I think uh, you have, my gosh, probably a number of things to say about. Oh, certainly, yeah. Uh, well, I heard Bowie before I saw him, and I heard the track Andy Warhol on the old grey whistle test. And if you recall, sometimes they would play tracks and they would, instead of having the band play, you wouldn't see the band at all. You'd just see an old black yes. and white movie, you know, just like an old uh, silent movie or a Fritz the Cat or something like right, that. Right, right. Anyway, there was a silent, there was a silent movie uh, being shown, uh, kind of on a loop, and, um, and that, that music, and it just really caught my attention. And I went out the next day and I, I purchased Hunky Dory. Right. So this was before Ziggy Stardust came yes, out, yes, pretty yes. early on. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, going to Spinner Disc Records and Abington Square in Northampton. And then <laughs> I was like, I suppose, 14 years old. Right. And then getting on top of the a double deck of bus and then just pull, pulling out the sleeve. And that when I, that was the first time I saw Bowie once on the cover of um, the Hunky Dory. Right. A bit like Greta yes. Garbo, you know. Yes. And I was very intrigued by that image. And then I read the lyrics on the top of this double decker. And I was just really, my little mind was being blown. And I couldn't wait to get home. I, I ran from the bus stop <laughs> to my ha parents' house uh. and put it on the huge old cheek gramophone right. you know, yes. and uh played it and that was it you oh, know, just my. lost in this other in this other world what a great and, story and i thought well that's that's what happened yeah. and then shortly after that um he came out with ziggy stardust right and I, it was like oh wow he's now he's gone to this other place so yeah I tell you i i my best friend and i dave exton and uh his my best mate at school we were the only really the only two kids that were into Bowie and right. we'd get picked on by yes, the bullies yes, yes. for being into Bowie. Right, right. You know, so that was very bonding. We were sort of kicking against the pricks, you know. And uh, anyway, we applied for tickets for that, the Hammersmith uh, gig when he announced his retirement and we got one back. <sighs> so we 
unceremoniously ripped it up. That neither of us, it was like, it would be too painful for one of us not, right. to not be there. So there was an empty seat in that venue. I, and then I didn't see him. And I didn't see him because I was always had my own gigs when he was playing near to me. So, so I never got to see him until the Glass Spider oh. tour, which was not the best period, you know. But, but then I did see him later on, actually, actually at the invitation of Tony Visconti in 1998 right. in a little tiny little theatre just off of Times Square and he was magnificent. He came on with with uh, Mike Garson, just the two of them. He had a 12-string guitar, Garson and pe- piano and they played uh, Life from Mars, you know, and it was, yes. it was incredible. And then he added the band, you know, one by one. one, by one. On. It ended with like a full full band, but that was, that was, that was great. And we were also joined in our little, we had a little box seat um, by Mick Rock Ah, yes, yes. As you probably know, took all the famous sure, photos of course, of yeah, Bowie yeah, 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 in the early days, you know. So that was that was a fantastic experience because yeah. Visconti wanted to make a Bauhaus album. That's why oh, I just had a meeting with him that. in his office in in New York, and he was very keen to to produce the band. But we split up oh. <laughs> again, so that never came to pass, unfortunately. Maybe you know. Work with people. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be people. interesting? Yeah. You know, you just yeah. said, David, you said something very, very interesting and I can relate to only too well. There was an us and them situation, wasn't there? Those mm. that like those that liked oh, Bow- yeah. Bowie and those that didn't. I can remember being picked on. I can remember just exactly what yeah. you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were actually beaten up. We were beaten. Yes. We were, you know, yeah. called queer. And, oh, yes. Know, like, absolutely. Picked on by, and I think the bullies were actually they were intimidated by Bowie. They were scared of that. And they were probably scared of something in themselves that actually kind of liked it, you know? Yeah. You know, they couldn't embrace it because they'd lose face within their little blockhead. Exactly. Gang, you know? Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Great memories there, David. Terrific. Thank you for sharing that. You know, over sure. the years, you have worked with all kinds of people you still continue to do. And as you say in your on your Facebook, you say... Now flying solo with the help of talented friends. Over the years, David, with all the different people that you've worked with, has there been anybody that you would have loved to have gone into the studio with that you still would like to do that but haven't done that with? Brian Eno. Ah, okay. Comes immediately to mind. I love his approach, you know, and very influential on Bauhaus. Huge influence on Bauhaus. Not Not just through the music he made, but his his ideas, his attitude, you know, um, just an oblique coming out, coming out, making music from a very oblique angle. And John that, Cale. John Cale. Okay. John Cale. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about music now? Do you think it's, do you think there's still, I, I remember one time I, I interviewed Bowie a number of times and I, I remember asking him, um, do you still believe in rock and roll? And uh, he said, yes. And <laughs> I, it's amazing how, how it you know, continually brings up new talent and, and young artists that are taking this, this, what is now, you know, a pretty old form, but injecting it with, with vitality and, it, and, and making it exciting. A band that comes to mind that do this for me at the moment is a band called Starcrawler out of L.A. 
Okay. And their their ages between eighteen and twenty one, and they're very exciting. Yeah, um, we actually invited them. Peter and I. Peter asked me if I could recommend, you know, any uh, uh, an idea for a, an opening act, and I immediately said Starcrawler. So we did approach them, but they are make when we're on tour in Europe, they're making their second album. They just came out with their first album, so we can't. We can't make that one happen, but that's that's an example. That's an know? example. Good. Well, we're going to check them out and um, we'll get some on the yeah. show. Yeah. Music is it, it goes through its ups and downs, and uh, when you were when you were first starting with Bauhaus, the scene was, in some respects, it was very different to what it is today. Technology was different, but in in other respects, the sort of the. I just had a band on the on the show a couple of weeks ago out of Portland, Oregon, called Slippery Eyes. And their enthusiasm and their attitude was just, uh, it was just remarkable. It just was so sort of bright eyed and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, stars yeah. in their eyes and in lots of respects. So do you think it still stays, you still, it's still there, that same sort of feeling? Yeah, absolutely. But it's, you see, music is not, um, it's not as vital uh, as far as like a, a vehicle for social and political change as it used to be. I mean, it, it has an influence to a degree, but not like in the 60s and 70s when, you know, a, a, a rock band can make a statement and it would carry a heavy weight. Now, there's so much material, there's so much other kind of formats um, in circulation and on the Internet that it doesn't it doesn't have that same kind of force, but it can still affect an, an individual in a very deep and um, significant way. So it still has that power, you know. That's not to be sniffed at. Yes. I was going to say, just reiterating, really, just saying it's just not the universal force for change that it used to be. It used to be, yeah. But if you change one person or influence one person, then, you know, that, that, that does go quite a long way to influencing... It's sort of like uh, you can change the world by changing yourself, you know, you, mm. by increments. You know, it, it's still it's still valid. You mentioned a word that I'm, I just picked up on. It's, it's it's great talking with you, David, because we can go off on different tangents and just things that you're saying just drive me into another direction. You just mentioned mm. about political awareness, and I'm wondering mm. whether whether you, as a musician, feel that you need to say things from a political perspective these days, or any day for that matter, how important is that for David Jay? Um, well, since the new administration has come into power in America, which yeah. is where I live, I feel galvanised and actually, you know, I feel it's really, really vital to say something about it because it's so extraordinary and it's so awful and uh it's very very dangerous and um i've made i mean I'm, i've made several political musical statements but i i mean it's one thing that's great about the internet is you can have an idea that is relevant to the hot moment as it were and make it really quickly and just put it out there you know I like that immediacy, and I have done that. You know, yes. I've made my little protest against Trump yes. and, you know, his horror show, and I will continue to do that and do my little bit, you know. 
Do you think there's enough uh, political statements being made by pe- position, people in your position, musicians? Well, certainly, it's certainly prevalent. I mean, I, I, I see a lot, a lot of that. I mean, the, the people that are going out and marching, I mean, in significant mum, numbers, yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of them probably are influenced to a degree by artists who are, you know, making the same points. And um, I think it's it's encouraging to see such the young young kids going out there, especially like the latest with the latest wave of horrible shootings in the states. You know, those young kids being going out and being so articulate. Yes. And the numbers that have gathered in support of them, that's encouraging because they are the next generation, you know. Yeah. I think really with this, with this administration, it's the last gasp of the, of the old patriarchal, you know, old white man, you know. I mean, it is fascist. I, I perceive it as a form of fascism. Yeah. And uh, I think its days have to be numbered. It just by its very nature, it it, it it has to be self-destructive. It cannot carry on much longer. Do you think it's a sign of the times, David? Do you think we've gone, we have to go through these cycles and we've now got to a certain point where, as you say, their days are numbered, but there's this last gasp and this last sort of... Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, I think it's... Uh, that's why it's so intense. Your Your album... Crocodile's Tears and the Velvet Kosh. It's been, I understand, mm. it's being re-released. Yeah, yeah, um, and not only that, it's been re-released by the, but it's the label that originally put it out, Glass Records, um, which has been dormant for for a long, long time. Has been at, reactivated by the original guy behind the label, Dave Barker, uh, as Glass Modern, and I've been talking with Dave, and he's going to put it out and. I've always had enormous respect for him because he's like he's in the the mold of the classic old A and R man with just the, the the sensibility and the ear to pick up on things when they're very new and he just has that instinct you know and he has a deep love of just, he's a music lover yeah. you know and he's a he's a fan and so it's it's great to be back with him and not only is he putting that one out he's going to put out my new solo album sometime next year and also we were talking about collaborations one of the most fruitful collaborations I've ever done is um, with a band based in Detroit called Duende and we've made an album together called Oracle of the Horizontal and uh, that's going to come out on Glass Modern as well Wow! so there's three there's three, three. projects there very cool indeed. Well, we've got to hear all of those and we'll get you back on the program and talk about them. Whilst we're talking Absolutely. about music, and you've made a lot over the years, any real standouts for you outside of Bella Lugosi's Dead? Anything that you, you sort of look at in your career and you go, that one and that one, maybe that one? Hmm. Well, the album I just made, the solo album, um, is a it's a peak and uh, to such a degree that I, I feel like I won't be able to follow it. And I'm, I'm making it my last album, but it's not just because of how I feel about the quality of it. It's just, a, I mean, I make these albums and it takes a long time and it's a labor of love. I don't make any money from any of these records, 
because they, they don't sell enough, you know. Yes. <laughs> they might be loved, you know, yeah. by a small contingent. And that means the world to me. Right. You know? And I make it for those people and I make them for myself as well. But it's just, I, and I previously I was saying about the immediacy of putting something out online. I really like that. And I also love collaborating. Yes. It's very stimulating to me. So I want to do more in that area. Uh, but there's, uh, now the first album I did at Beck, solo album, was called Etiquette of Violence. Yes. And the first track on that is a song called I Hear Only Silence Now. Mm-hmm. And I've recorded a new version of that as a duet with a great artist, Emily Jane White. And it's a very different type of version. In a way, it's even more minimalist than the first one, which right. is saying something. Um, but it's piano-based. And that will be the last track on the new album. So there's a, a completion of a cycle here. And it feels so right. So, um, no, that is a standout. Yeah. That, that track turned out really well. Um, it's very sonorous and it just has a lot of poignancy to it. So there's an example. Let me stop okay, you there. Yeah. yeah, because you just said this is going to be your last album. Why Why the last album, David? Because it it feels like such a peak, this record. It's the strong, it's, I, I know it's the strongest thing I've done. And I recorded most of it in Prague um, recently, just mastered it there as well. And it has a very European flavor, kind of melancholic, distinctly European. Some of the, a couple of tracks are recorded in the States. Um, but it has this flavor to it that I, I think is beautiful. And so I'm very proud of it. And yeah, I just it just feels like a completion. So it's not like I'm going to stop making music at all. Yes, I've yes. got loads of ideas. Right, but right. it will be more collaborations and just a one-offs and you know I I love vinyl so I'm not going to stop making vinyl but it'll be like singles like 7-inch singles or 10-inch EP something like that and then these, of course these things can all be collected and put onto a, a compilation album right but it's just the whole idea of you know making a uh, a, a proper album um, I mean I'm, the last few records I've done have been kind of conceptual concept albums not that i in any case started out with this oh i'm going to make i've got this concept they sort of came together i call them accidental concept albums and it's just really reflective of where i'm at in my head and my life yes because that music is because the music is very immediately connected to that so it sort of makes sense that in a, a period where i'm making a record a year or two years the content is, is reflective of where I'm at at that time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, When's this I do ga- think it'll be the last one. Um, I've, well, I had to put it back because I'm I'm touring so extensively with Peter, which is great. Yes. And we Peter Murphy, and we're getting more and more offers coming in. Yeah. So I, I keep putting it back. At the moment, I'm thinking spring of next year. Well, we're going to have to hear it. And obviously, as I said, get you back on the show and talk about that. I want to now switch to talking about uh, being on tour and working with Peter. Again, we're going to take a quick break, and then we come back, we'll talk about that. We're talking to David J. right here on Life Elsewhere. You are listening to Life Elsewhere Music, curated and hosted by Norman B. My guest is David J. He, of course, is the founding member of Bauhaus, Love and Rockets, 
and he's currently in Portugal on tour, and you're working with Peter Murphy. Talk to me about being on tour and talk a bit about working back with Peter again. Well, I hadn't seen Peter or spoken to him in 12 years since the last full-on Bauhaus tour in 2006, which actually ended, the last gig was in Portugal. And it ended rather acrimoniously and uh, it was pretty bitter uh, because it was always very volatile, that whole setup, which was part of, you know, what made it fiery and vital. It's like kill the best bands have that, yes. you know, from the Who to the Libertines to the Stone, you know, they all have that thing. Um, but now I this came via the invitation of Peter. I was rather surprised, but really pleased because... I saw it as a chance for reconciliation, which it really has been. Mm. And we've had a lot of good talks. And um, it's, Peter is absolute delight to be around these days. He, I must say, I'm thoroughly enjoying his company. And he's still talking about fire, a fiery performer. He really has that, you know, in spades still. And it's it's very it's emotional going out there with him, um, because we've been through so much. Yes, yes, yes. And we, I feel like we've you know been in through some dark in in some dark places, but we've come through the other side. Mm -hmm. And that was the, always the thing with Bowers. I mean, that was another thing that bugged us about the label, the, the goth, you know, the goth thing, because we didn't want to wallow in the darkness we were always aspiring to go into the light but we realized that in order to really appreciate that light you need to go into the dark and look at it and then hopefully transcend it and i feel that this is transcendent now even though it's not the full-on band it's peter and i and two other guys but i love where it's at at the moment it's very it's respectful and it's we're acknowledging our past, but we're also infusing it with new vitality. And it, it doesn't feel like just trotting it out, you know. I mean, part of the reason I confess to do this is to make some money. Yes, you know? yes, yes. But once we got together and started playing, there's an energy there and an and an electricity, and it's very it's exciting, you know. And just like I'm really into playing this music again more so than I've been for years actually so uh, it feels really positive I'm really pleased for you and I'm really pleased that things are working out like that and that you're enjoying it it sounds I can hear it in your voice it sounds like you're really yeah. you really are embracing it I'm looking down the list here of where I'm seeing you're playing for the next couple of months you're in you're in Portugal right now then you're going off to you're going to go to London then you're going to down under to New Zealand and Australia I see you're going to be going to Russia to Serbia to Switzerland mm -hmm. Madrid mm -hmm. Italy Poland back to the UK. I don't see America on the list. No, there's a reason for that, and that, <laughs> that is because Peter has not been able to obtain a visa. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And I think, the, again, we're back to the current administration. They are not making it easy. Peter is you know, he's converted to Islam a long time ago. Right. He lives in Istanbul. Mm. 
it doesn't help matters. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And, and, and in particular, the relationship between the states and Turkey is not an easy one at the moment. Right. Yes. So he's been, you know, denied this visa time and time again, and uh, we just keep reapplying and hope, you know, that it comes through because obviously we have a huge audience out there. Of course. Yeah. In in the states. Yes. Talk to me about, um, and I don't really, I mean, go as far as you feel comfortable with, but being, performing with, with Peter, who's converted to, to Islam, as you say, do you get into philosophical talks? Do you have any discussions about religion or, or any faith or all, going in that direction? All the time. All the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he is, um, he's highly informed. <clears throat> and uh, knowledgeable, you know, and, and um, I really respect that. And you know, I've always had a fascination with with different spiritual paths, and have you know explored a lot myself. So you know, it it, it just creates a very uh, lively uh, and interesting conversation. Yeah. I'm going to throw three more words out to you, which I've discussed with, well, I've discussed with Bowie and I've discussed with a number of people over the years, and that's sex and drugs and rock and roll. The three things always seem to go together, even though it was a wonderful song for me and Dury. Uh, I think we all know it. It's sort of like they merge together at, uh, at some point or another. In your experience, David, uh, does one outweigh the other? Well, the one that, the one that continues is, is the latter, yes. rock and roll. right. You know, and that's the only one that's really sustainable. Right. You know, um, the others, you know, <laughs> the sex and the drugs. I mean, well, the drugs, <clears throat> I mean, rock and roll wouldn't be what it has been without certain drugs. And the, the drugs have informed the music, you know, in, in a vital way. And, uh, the music wouldn't be the same without those drugs, and you can identify the, the the effects of the drugs on the music very very clearly. Um, but you know, it's just like, of course, it's a dangerous game, but certainly drugs have informed my music, yeah, and have been revelatory. But I've always my attitude to 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 that whole thing has been respectful. You know, sure, sometimes it's just, I mean, alcohol you know, is uh, the only one that I will, it's a different, I have a different relationship towards alcohol than I do towards drugs. Yes. Because drugs are something, especially psychedelics, I've always viewed as a sacrament. And I haven't indulged in psychedelics for a long time, decades actually, but yes. when I did, it was a, it was a, uh, from a point of view of respect, you know, and this is like, something to be taken seriously not it's not party time mm. this is this is like a serious endeavor you know sure it's it's fun in inverted commas but also it's serious fun <laughs> um but alcohol is is different because that is can be just you know a good time although alcohol can also take you to a place that's deep you know and yes, yes. can be used as a tool yes. but again it's just the, the whole addiction to those those drugs you know and and, and drink um and some of us you know are more more 
well, I'm just born with a, more of an addictive personality than others. Uh, I'm personally blessed in that I, I don't have that. Yes. Um, but many of my friends do and have had, and some of them have succumbed and some of them actually died because right. of that. Um, Let me ask you another. Still good. Yes. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you added that. I'm glad. I'm glad. That. <laughs> that's that's good. Let me ask you another question, David. And it's a, it's a three-letter word: um, age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the thing with age, I mean, the blessing of age is. Uh, perspective uh, and um, just when I think back to when we started the band when I was in my 20s you know the things that would get me uptight and I'd be paranoid about and they just it, I have a completely different perspective on that now and, and it's it's so much better you know you just sort of take things in your stride and you just have I, what I I know is a a more a truthful perspective on how things are. So that is a real boon that comes with age. Of course, you know, there's like physically, it takes its toll, you know. Yeah. But even in that area, I mean, I I've always kept pretty pretty fit. You know, I swim all the time and then walk. I go for walks and and also I think your mental state really really has a big influence on your physical state and. If you are lucky enough, like me, to be in a position where you are actually have made pretty decent living by doing something that you love, then that goes a long way to to keeping you healthy. You know, even though the, the profession that I'm in, you know, has it. We've just previously been talking about, you know, the the things that can damage you. Uh, as long as you, you know, you're careful yes. with that. This, the, the drug drugs more than anything. Yes. Um, then you can have a very healthy life, you know, and it's just an attitude. The best thing about getting older is just having this different perspective and it's just a clearer, clearer view of things. But also the, just the, the idea of mortality looms, you know, ever more present. And so you have a different, very different take on that. I mean, I remember in my 20s, you could get romantic about mortality, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that obviously recedes when it becomes much more of an impending yes. reality. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. But it's but it's point. It's very poignant. Yes. So it can also, uh, when it does inform your work, you know, if you're open to it, and you know, I think of somebody like Leonard Cohen, such a great artist who who had that quality of being able to to look at his his impending mortality and put that into put that perspective and that uh, complexity into his work, you know. So it ma- it, it makes the work richer, you know. And I, I like a lot of artists that I really like are the ones that have stuck around, you know, because their work is informed by their experience. Right. I think of somebody like Lou Reed is a good example of that. You know. Mm-hmm. And Bowie as well. And I mean, Bowie, that last yes. Album, yes, extraordinary, yes. Extraordinary, you know. And that was looking death in the eye. Right. Like, 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 really, you know, 
And uh, what a gift that he left us there, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very well said. David, you've done so much. You've done so much musically. You've done other things. And here you are at this point in your life. Uh, you're back performing with, with Peter. Uh, you're, you're, things are, life is good. You're embracing life. Um, is, there, mm-hmm. is there something that you, you would still like to do outside of music? Is there anything that you, you just like, crave that you would like to do? Well, I am. Yes, there is, and I'm actually, but I'm actually working on it, and it will come to fruition. And that is putting out a book of poetry, and I've always wanted to do that. That's wonderful. Yeah, you like writing, so I have. Yeah, I love, I love writing. Yeah, and I write more and more. You know, and I also wrote, I wrote the book um, about Bauhaus, my memoir, um, who killed Mister Moonlight, right? Which is something I felt really compelled to write, and it's. Well, it's cathartic to write that book, you know, and uh, there's so many great stories in there as well. But I've got, you know, I've got, I've got at least one more book in me. I know that. I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. I, I wish, as always, when I, because when, I feel like we're just getting warmed up right now, but we only have a certain yeah. amount of time to, to put on the air. Yes. So I'm going to stick my neck out here and ask you if we can chat again and sort of just go off on tangents like we have now. Just just chat, because I think that you've got such a lot of stuff to say, such a lot of things that we can talk about. Could we do that? Sure. Well, I've I, I thoroughly enjoyed it as well, Norman. Um, maybe the time would be when my solo album finally comes out. That would be fantastic, David. I know that you're a busy man, and uh, just to let everybody know, this getting this conversation together with you today has been yeah. somewhat of a bit of a confusion about yeah. time zones. Yeah, and, many and different, what, yeah. different time zones. Yeah, but yeah. we finally managed it, and it's been, it's been thoroughly enjoyable, David. Before we go, I want to... I wanna, we haven't played any music throughout the show. We've been just... Just talking to you, and as most of my listeners know, I edit very little out of the conversation. The only stuff we really edit out, as my producer says, we edit out your mumbling and grumblings, just meaning me, not you. Yeah, right. So let's just close with a piece of music, and you can choose anything you like. It can be uh, Bauhaus, it can be Lover, it can be whatever you want it to be, and we'll we'll get it from uh, from our library, and we'll stick it in to close. Yeah. Okay, well, um, let's go with the song I wrote when I received the news that Bowie had died. And that night I wrote this song called The Day That David Bowie Died, and I recorded it the next day. So that just poured out of me. I was in a hotel room in Portland, Oregon, the Crystal Hotel, which is where I always stay. And I actually got a a text message from my son, um, so sad about Bowie. And I had no clue what that meant. So I called him up and then he told me, you know, the news. And then, you know, that was a big one. Yes, yes, And my my little guitar was in the corner calling to me and we got together and we wrote this song. And, um, yeah, I I think I was really, when we recorded it the next day, picking up, there was something palpable in the air that day. Yes. It was the effect, I mean, the, the effect of that, passing was so so huge you yes. know um and impacting that i think um something of that went into the recording of it some magic went into into that record um so that's it's on my 
put it on my last album, Vagabond Songs. Mm. And it was also a single. Yeah, it came out on uh, A Recordings, which is uh, it's uh, Anton Newcomb's label, uh, Anton Newcomb from Brian Jones' Town Massacre. And I recorded it at Colin Hegner's studio, Revolver, which is, he's he was, until very recently, he was in the band as well. But anyway, that's the one I would like to play. Thank you for just suggesting that, David. Unfortunately, as I said, time is against us, and I've just got to say so big, big thank yous to Mr. David J for joining us at Life Elsewhere. David, thank you very, very much, and all the very best to you. You're most welcome, sir. It was a pleasure. Boys were crying in the nightclub A late night lamentation closing bar I flicked my fag into the gutter It fled and sparked like a shooting star It's several floors above the club Where we first heard the saddest disco Traded dreams for a ticket stop Ghost that haunted Hammersmith are banished Ziggy has retired now for good With incense prayers and glitter incantation The ending is told in all drunk blood David Bowie died Where were you The day that David Bowie died I was freezing My eyes off on the corner Northern town, not shy of rain Smoking cigarettes and drinking whiskey With a beautiful young girl, my Sybil Vane Jones 
we go way back Back to those adolescence seeds Seeds that bloomed into a flaming love life Seeds and blooms and flames fulfilling Listening to a very special edition of Life Elsewhere Music, a conversation with David J. Make sure you let me know what you think of the program. The nice lady in a few moments will give you the email address. Till next time, you be well, you be good, and always be nice. Bye. Hey, music. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere Music, hosted and curated by Norman B. We'd love to hear what you think of the program, and we want to hear your music. Contact us at this address, info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. To hear the show again, go to the Life Elsewhere music page at lifeelsewhere.co or go to lifeelsewhere at Mixcloud. Life Elsewhere Music is produced by Norman B. and recorded in one take without edits. <laughs> Thank you for enjoying Life Elsewhere Music. <laughs>